Just going to test the mic now. Should be on. Microphone check. Two one two. And uh, Joby, I have an effect on there. Do you want to shut off the effects? Yeah, just shut off the effects there for me, please. Okay, if you guys would like to share it, go ahead and share it. I'm going to share it on my page. Join me for chapel on John 1. All right, let's do it. Okay, Joe B., just stay back there just for a second. Let me make sure that we got that effect off there. Okay, one, two, one, two. Checking to make sure we got. Okay, perfect, Joe B. Now, if you could just remember that each week, I would appreciate that. Okay, you guys love Jesus? All right, you're not too tired, right? You guys are excited. And I promise you, this is my promise when I come here for chapel every single week, is you guys will get the best. I will not give you the second-rate chapel. I will not give you a leftover sermon from Sunday. You guys will get the best. I want you to not fall short or come behind in anything. And so anything you need from Nancy, you let us know because I believe you have the best cohort advisor. Anything you need from Lauren in dealing with the details, the finances, the cohorts, you have the best assistant, cohort advisor. And anything you need from me as a spiritual advisor, as your visionary leader, I am here to help you. Feel free to Facebook me, to text me, to let me know what you need. Some of the things you may need, I will send you directly to them. So do not take that personal. If you say, um, right now, I need to have help finding a certain book, I'll send you back to Lauren. I'll say, Lauren will help you find this book. Or if you're here today and you start feeling a little bit sad and I've left, I will send you to the deacon that's on call. And you have a deacon here that's not deacon around. You're the one and the only, Ashley Bolden, who I like to call Sister Soldier. Let's give it up for Ashley. Come on, Sister Soldier. So I will make sure to get you in touch with the right people, and whatever I can do personally, I am going to do. It has been the desire of my heart to always be in the Bible college setting, and I want to do that until Jesus comes back, and so it's my honor and privilege to do this. So I'm excited. I will be at Mardi Gras this year. I'm actually going down in October uh, to New Orleans to preach at a conference for the Raven team. And so it is going to be an exciting, and exciting time. If I had room, I would bring you guys with me. But literally, my seven-seat minivan is filled with seven seats now. Five kids, two adults. Three in the back, the two uh, pilot seats. I will uh, talk to some of you if you feel like driving down there and meeting me down there for some of the days of the conference. But I know those kinds of things are hard for you because it requires two sacrifices. The sacrifice of the the time to go there, and then the sacrifice of not being able to work and not be able to focus on your school. But I, I want to tell you, I want to do more things like that, okay? And so we have a lot of good things planned. Today's message is Light Overcomes Darkness. I love the book of John. The book of John has probably comforted me more than any other book in the Bible. I do have like a favorite book as a pastor that I love to read, like 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, very much pastoral letters, very much encouraging to me, but that's probably more related to 
just details and ministry and helping to understand things. But when you want to talk about a book that has emotionally just brought me closer to Jesus, there is no book like the book of John in my personal life, my personal life. I love the book of Psalms. Uh, book of Psalms and all the wonderful Psalms there. But the book of John has just radically touched my life. And this first part, part right here, John 1, verses 1 through 5, I've committed to memory. I've even wrote in, uh, written different songs, like melodies in my heart from it. So don't look, uh, I mean, you look there. I'm not going to look at it. And let's see if I can do it from memory. Okay, you guys ready? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Or excuse me, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? And it's so funny because I always mess up on that verse 3. Through him, all things were made. I always put that first part. Without him, nothing was made. It's just something that I, I don't know. I got to get over. But this passage is so powerful. Let's start in the first part here. In the beginning was the word. Uh, this is such a powerful statement because it takes us to the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. There is no doubt in John's mind as he's writing inspired of the Holy Spirit to who the Word is. The Word is equal to the Father and has been there at the time of creation and even before creation. And so if you look at John 1.1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God. And so that's why at the uh, end of verse 1, it says, and the Word was God. There is no confusion to who the Word is in John's mind. The Word is divine. The Word is God. Now, where a lot of people do get confused is how the Trinity is understood in this verse. There are two errors that people make when they don't accept the biblical revelation of the Trinity. One is the error of sabellianism, which is also known in modern times as oneness theology. Uh, a lot of Pentecostals have adopted the heir of Sabellianism. Sabellius was a heretic who lived in the time of the 4th century. He tried to uh, sway the church to believe his heresy. We will talk about that in just a moment. The other heresy that people fall into when not acknowledging the doctrine of the Trinity is Arianism. And Arius was a heretic around that same exact time. Now, the uh, fourth century, around the 300s. Now, watch this. Sabellianism says that God is only one person. And the example would be like Joe Wyrostic is only one person. But Joe is also a father as a person. One person, Joe operates as a father when he's with his children. I then operate uh, as a son when I'm with my father, and then I can take on a role of a helper, an advocate. I could be a pastor, a lawyer, something like that. And so what Sibelius said is there's one person of God, and that person is fully revealed in the New Testament by the time you get to Jesus as Jesus. 
and they'll look to Matthew 28, 19, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they'll say that is the name of Jesus, and they'll also go to the passage of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, Isaiah chapter 9, rather, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and they'll say, That's a name of the Holy Spirit. He'll be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So here are the roles of that one person we'll call the Son. So here are the roles of Jesus. Jesus will be the mighty, uh, the wonderful counselor. He'll be our mighty God. He will be our everlasting father. And do you, do you see how easy that can become uh, deceptive if you don't know the doctrine of the Trinity, right? If somebody combined these scriptures together and rocked them with, uh, went, to, went to them very fast with you, you would be rocked really hard. You would not know how more than likely uh, to respond to them. Now, who, who right now is a famous Sibelianist? On Facebook, somebody that you guys probably have shared or liked some of his videos, who is a famous Sibelianist? Oneness. Marcus Rogers, the African-American soldier on Facebook that's walking with his phone. And he goes, guys, I just want to tell you God loves you. Who is another oneness Sibelianist heretic? Josh Fergustine, who does the, this is Josh Fergustine. I want to tell you that God is real. God is alive. Both of these men on Facebook who are Facebook famous are Sabellianist heretics. They appear to be like us as Christians because they share our passion for Jesus. They share our passion for holiness. They share our passion for the Bible. But they believe in a heresy which puts them outside of the body of Christ. T.D. Jakes was raised this way but has recanted of his oneness belief. This is a serious heresy. It found its way into modern-day Pentecostalism as a man broke away in the 1900s from the revivals and started to say, I figured it out. They say in Acts chapter 2, verses 20, uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 38, that this is how you need to be saved. And he put it together, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, Peter replied, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized, speak in tongues, in Jesus' name, that's salvation. If you're not baptized in Jesus' name, you're not saved. If you're baptized in Jesus' name, repent, but don't speak in tongues. You're not saved. The three components is the Pentecostal, the oneness Pentecostal version of salvation. Baptism in Jesus' name only. Repentance and faith in Jesus, and then speaking in tongues. Marcus Rogers and Josh Ferguson are heretics believing that false doctrine. They are wrong on their doctrine of the Trinity, which is the nature of God. If you have the nature of God wrong, you have everything else wrong. It's that important. Number two, they have the nature of baptism wrong because Jesus taught us to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was the formula. And they, of course, have salvation wrong because it's by faith alone. So here's how the argument works. I will say it to you really quickly so that you can see how the Sabellianist does it. 
and then you'll be able to answer them. They'll say, in the beginning was Jesus, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, because we know Jesus is the Word. No problem with that interpretation if you don't understand where they're going with it, but that's where they'll start. Then they'll say in Isaiah 9 that Jesus will be our counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, the one name. Then they will show you in the baptism formula that you are to baptize in one name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now to them the argument has been settled when they say this is how Peter preached. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Where have they gone wrong? Well, let's start with the passage of John, and then I will correct each one from there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Obviously, John is pointing us back to the Genesis narrative. But here in the book of John, we now see the persons of God are being distinguished Rather, in Genesis, we just see God in that first verse. But yet in Genesis, <clears throat> excuse me, if you go through it carefully, you still will see the three persons that I will describe. Though, just so you don't think I'm forced reading it into Genesis, since we started with John, let me start there, and then I will show you the three persons in Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. To interpret this as only one person being God, you have a problem when you get to the second clause. There are three clauses separated by commas here in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. That is the first part. And the Word was with God. That is the second part. Or if you're lettering it, which they normally do, this is the part B. A is the first part. B is the second part. And then C and the word was God. The problem that the Sibelianist has right here, the person that believes that God is only one person putting on the hat or the role of three different actions, but still, re excuse me, remaining one person, has a problem with this second part. And the word was with God. This phrase is prostan theon. The word with is pros, which means facing or face-to-face. -face. Can you be face-to-face -face with yourself? Can you truly have a face-to-face -face encounter or relationship with yourself? No, you can't. The Word is facing someone other than himself. Who is that one that he is facing? The passage continues on and says who it is in verse 14. It says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. See, now the word is differentiated as a son, and God who he is facing is differentiated or told to be the father who came from the father full of grace and truth. And then clearly in verse 18, we see what is happening here. Because this is where it concludes. 19 onward of chapter 1 goes into the description of John the Baptist. So really verses 1 through 18 is all about Jesus. No one has ever seen God. Well that may be confusing 
Because the Sabellianist says if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father, we've seen God, end of discussion. And that's another one of their famous ones where it says if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I may not have time to get in that, but it's all answered the same way right here. No one has ever seen God. But if the Trinity is correct, Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So let's keep going. But the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So who is the God that no one has ever seen? God the Father. We've seen God the Son, but no one has seen God the Father. Now go back up to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. We now know that's the Son by the context. So we can say, in the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with who? Who was he with? The Father. He was with the Father. Now where it says, and the Word was God, is it saying the Word was the Father? No, because it would be contradicting what it says in verses 14 and 18. What is it saying? It is saying he was sent from the Father, but he is divine like the Father. So what is the proper interpretation of John 1.1 when you read into the whole context? In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with the Father, and the Son was divine like the Father. Would you like to see that in the context of Genesis where John is referring to? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now let's see if we can see these three persons. Now the earth was formless and void, darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now we see the Spirit. And God said, let there be light. God spoke. What do we call people are things that are spoken. The Word. The Father spoke the Word. The Father used the Son to create those things, a plurality of persons. Well, let's see. Does the Son bring the light from the Father? Yes. He was in the beginning with the Father, and through Him all things were made. By the Father, without Him nothing was made. In Him the Son was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Do you see now how the Father used Him to create the world through Him? You may say, Pastor, it looks like you're reading a bit into that. Well, let me just show you in a more clearer passage in Colossians that says the same exact thing. When you go to Colossians chapter 1, it talks about Jesus and his role with the Father. And then it goes on to show what he did with the Father in regards to creation. Do I have Colossians here? Okay, yes. Let's go to Colossians, rather. I believe it's chapter 2. Let me go to Colossians chapter 2. You know, uh, I wish I had it memorized. You know what? Let me see if I can go here. And this verse, let me put it in the NIV so I can find my markers. That version is not giving me my markers that I need. Colossians teaches us Jesus' role in creation. Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For in him, the Son, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isn't that beautiful? Now go back to Genesis, and let's see if we can find the plurality of persons. Do you think we'll see them there? Yes, we will. What will be the time that we will see the plurality? The first time when they will say, let us. When will we see the first reference of let us in Genesis? When it's time to create mankind. Look at what it says here. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Mankind. Is mankind a singular person? No. When the God of heaven and earth says us, plural, does he mean one person with many different roles or multiple persons sharing the same nature? He shows us that mankind is made in his image, male and female. There are two. And what do male and female do when they come together in their fruitfulness? They increase and make child. There is the three persons of humanity made in the three personal image of divinity. There is the explanation of the Trinity. In John chapter 1, let's go over it in review just so nobody gets lost, okay? Let's go over it in review. No trickery here. The error of Sabellianism has been exposed. In the beginning was the Son, and the Son was with the Father, and the Son was divine like the Father. We see that the Son is there in Genesis because the Father uses the Spirit through the Son, what He is speaking, to create the world starting with the light. Here is the Spirit of God over the, hovering over the waters. Here is the Father speaking His Word through Jesus. And here is the creation of light. We see that confirmed when the us is now made plural. Let us make mankind in our image. He makes them male and female to bring forth offspring. What about the other scripture that they bring up to us? Isaiah chapter 9. Well, first, this disproves their theology and they don't even know it. Because notice the terminology here. This is also helpful when preaching to Jewish people. It is said twice about a son and a child, but we think it's the same, but it is not. A child is born, a son is given. Understand this now with the revelation of the Trinity. The flesh of Jesus is born, but the son is given because he comes from eternity. He was not created at that moment in his soul. Your soul and spirit was created when your body was created. The Son of God was in the beginning, but the child had a beginning. When the Son took on flesh as a child, he shall be called these things. That's amazing right there, isn't it? And this is a problem for them. Why? Because they do not believe that the Son is eternally existing. They only believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist at certain times and manifestations. That means for them to say that the Son is the Father, is the Holy Spirit, they have to say it's one person just putting on hats. 
But we believe the Son is always the Son, has always been the Son, He has always existed. And that's what John 1, 1 says, and that's what it says here, that the Son, separate from the Father, is going to be given to us. Just like John three sixteen, God, in reference to the Father, gives the Son. It's not Him sending Himself. They're existing separately as persons, separate persons. I'm one person, so that means if I ever stop existing or have to take on a different role, I stop being that other role. I can't be a father to myself and a son at the same time. In other words, do you get it? There's a starting and a stopping. But the Bible says the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-eternal, existing always in their personhood of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So there, they don't even understand this passage. Wonderful Counselor is not referring to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, yes, has the same attributes as the Son, but that is not the person of the Holy Spirit. I can be a counselor. You can be a counselor. That doesn't make us the same person. They're reading their theology into this. The one that seems to be the hardest for us to explain to them, but it's really not, when it says everlasting Father, we get into the mindset that this has to mean that that is God the Father. That is not true. I can be a father, and my father can be a father. That doesn't mean we are the same person. Do you understand? How is Jesus a father to us, but not God the Father? Well, if you just look at the references here, it will show you in Scripture what it means to act as a father. This is what it says in Exodus 4.22. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel was not the firstborn son. That's Jacob. Esau was the firstborn son. So now these roles are symbolic of having authority. And so what God is saying is through Jesus, Jesus procreates the human race. Jesus is the firstborn among the dead, as it said in Colossians, and he's the first of the born-again children of God. So he's the procreator of the, what we could say, the Jesus race or the Christian people. Do you understand? Of the tribe of Jesus. Another reference here, Isaiah in the same book says, Yet you, Lord, are our father, we are the clay, you are the potter. How else is Jesus then like a father to us? Jesus is like a father to us because he molds us and shapes us. That once again does not mean that he is God the Father. That means that he is like the Father in what he does. And so you could see those scriptures, and there's more if you would like more. And so the idea is Jesus is like a father to humanity because he rules over us. Jesus is like a father to humanity because he births us through the Holy Spirit into his kingdom. That does not mean he is the person of God the Father. Okay, do you understand those things? Now, going to where we uh, uh, go to here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and onward, where they say baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we never see Jesus walking around calling himself the Father. We never see Jesus walking around calling himself the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, 
in the context of John chapter 14, where it says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus goes on to clearly differentiate himself from the Father and then use plural language. And so the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus because he never claimed that for himself, but spoke about the Father and Son in different uh, ways as a plural group of persons. And I'll show you that here in just a moment. And so what is the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? It is the name of the Old Testament reference that God gave Israel, Yahweh, or just the name that God would know himself by as Lord, as the people called him in the Septuagint, as they translated it from Yahweh to, to, to uh, Kyrios, as the Hebrew Bible went into uh, the Greek language, and as they spoke Greek, they would say that. And so the idea is it's the God of the Old Testament in three persons. But just see this right here so you can understand this. So uh, Philip says, show us the Father, chapter 14, verse 10. Uh, and then Jesus says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? doesn't say we're the same person or that we're the same, uh, the, the, the same person sharing the same name. No. It says we're still separate persons, but we're in each other. How is that possible? By them sharing the divine nature. And then he says this right towards the end here. He then simply says that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Um, believe in me when I say that I am in the Father, or at least uh, see the evidence. Um, and then where does he say if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Why am I missing it right here? Did I skip it already? Show us the Father. Don't. Okay, that's right. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, 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 no. It's here in 14. Show us the Father. Believe that I am in the Father. Father is in me. Believe me that I am in the Father at least. Okay. Um, well, this is a little embarrassing. I want to get to this point right here. Just look it up online. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me. Okay, thank you. I don't know how I'm missing it then. Was it? Okay, here we go. Okay. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It was the verse right before. That's why, I, you know, it's been so close, I get mixed up and I, I think I'm off. Here we go. So now he says, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, if what he is saying is true, that when he says you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that we're literally the same person, then now why does he say that I am in the Father and the Father is me, still treating them as separate persons? Now watch this right here as he clearly distinguishes that they are plural people. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, which is the name of Jesus, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. He doesn't say that you can ask whatever you want in my name because I'll be glorified in myself. He says, no, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm going to go next to him, and then you'll pray in my name, and these things will be done. So what does that mean that, that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? You've seen the divine nature of the Father. You've seen the nature of the Father. You've seen the character of the Father. Is that, is that confirmed also in the Bible? Uh, yes. Remember I showed you in Colossians that he's before all things and all of these uh, things were made through him. 
Now in Colossians chapter uh, 2, look at what it says that he is the stamp or literally the image of God. This will blow your mind right here when it shows you this. Watch this. It says, it says, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness, right? Now watch here where it's going to say Christ is the image of the invisible God. Let me get to this part in Colossians chapter 3. Here it is. Chapter 3. Oh, Lord, help me find it. Richly and blessing you, do whatever you do. Thank you. Is it 115? Why am I getting it mixed up today? Here we go. Yes, the sun is the image of the invisible God. So if you've seen the sun, you've seen the Father because you've seen the image of the invisible God. Does everybody see that? Now watch what the word image means. The word image here, this, this word image is icon. This is literally the New Testament word for idol. We don't want to use it derogatory, but literally Jesus is the icon of the Father. Jesus is the idol of the Father. When you saw Jesus in the flesh, you saw the nature of the Father among you, but he's not the Father. How do I know that? Because in that passage we were going through in John chapter 14, he goes down into verse 16 and now starts talking about the plural, about the Father's glory, His name, and sending the Holy Spirit. Now look at John chapter 16 here. Look at what he says. These are the people in the Trinity, the three persons. Look at what he starts right here when he says the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict, convict you of these things. Watch this. Chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. If the passage of Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor, referred to Jesus being the same person, then the Holy Spirit will speak on his own because the Holy Spirit is Jesus just as a spirit, right? But the Holy Spirit, as he comes, he doesn't speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will receive from me that what he will make known to you. There are the three persons. The Father gives everything to the Son. The Son gives everything to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit won't speak of himself. He'll speak of the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is separate from the Father because He's standing in front of you as the icon of the Father, saying, I'm going to go back to Him, have the glory I had with Him before the earth was created, and I will pray there on your behalf as you pray in my name. Now you say, Pastor, maybe I'm just a first year, first semester, second week student. This is way too heavy for me. You want to see it simply, go to the baptism of Jesus. Luke chapter 3, go to the baptism of Jesus. What do you see as Jesus is being baptized? In Luke chapter 3, Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. It says when the people were there, Jesus was baptized. So we see Jesus the Son. The Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove. And then the voice from heaven, you are my son. Not you are myself and I'm a ventriloquist sending my voice up there. Because that's what the oneness would have to believe. Jesus is 
one person coming in three different ways. Here he is as a person. Then he comes as a dove, as another person to himself. And then he's up in the heaven somewhere talking to himself, you're my son. Does that make any God-given sense? No, the triune God makes sense, doesn't it? It's not confusing. The Son is with the Father. He comes to this earth. While he is here, the Father sends the Holy Spirit to anoint him. He then says that he's going to go back to the Father. He then will send the Holy Spirit upon all of his people. The Holy Spirit will not speak on his own behalf. He will speak on what he hears from the Son. And then in another place in that passage, Jesus says, And the Father and I will come to you by the Spirit, and we will make our abode with you, our plural abode with you. So the air of sabellianism is broken to pieces, isn't it? Now that passage there of Acts, baptized in the name of Jesus, Acts 2.38, why did that confuse that early Pentecostal? Because that's really where it started for him in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When the authors of the New Testament say <clears throat> in the name of, in regards to baptism, they're doing it as the indicator of the authority in which they're baptizing. You would get baptized in the name of God through John the Baptist and these other people. In the name of Jesus means you're getting Jesus' baptism. If you don't understand that, look to Acts chapter 17 when Paul meets some of the disciples of John and he asks them what baptism have they received. Not Acts 17, rather, Acts 19. Look at what it says. It says, when Paul meets them, so Paul asks, what baptism did you receive? Whose baptism did they receive? Verse 3, look at where the note is. Whose baptism did they receive? Whose? John's baptism. What are Christians receiving now? Jesus' baptism. That's all it means in the name of Jesus. When you would be baptized in the name of John, it meant John's baptism on behalf of God. They took it and made it an ownership. Whose authority are you baptizing in? Whose authority? That's why they were asking John, whose authority? You don't have a name to baptize. Now in the New Testament, whose authority are you baptizing in? Jesus' authority. He said, all authority is mine. Now baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So there is no contradiction. This is Jesus' baptism, yes. It's in the name of Jesus, Jesus' baptism. But the names we say is not in Jesus' name. What we say is how Jesus told us to say it, in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit. That is Jesus' baptism. Do you understand? John had a baptism. Jesus has a baptism. That's all it simply means when it says in Acts 2.38 to baptize in the name of Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be nice if church history backed up that belief? And absolutely, within the first hundred years, we have documents. The Didache is the teaching of the Twelve, and it teaches the baptism of the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Didache, you can find this online if you're looking for it by just looking up D-I-D. A-C-H-E, talks about the baptism being in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that is the Trinity in church history. 
They never considered in Jesus' name to be the thing you would say over the baptismal person. What that simply meant was that was Jesus' baptism. I don't have time today to get into the error of Arianism, which is today's modern who. What cult Jehovah Witnesses believe in modern-day Arianism? And just to get you ready for next week, they try to insert an A before a God, uh, before God, so and the word was a God. So they fail in a totally different way than the Sabellianists. The Sabellianist wants to make everything Jesus, and Jesus is God. The Arianist is going to say, we admit Jesus and the Father are two separate persons. We're totally there with you. There can't be the same person there and all throughout the Bible. They're two separate persons. But here's the deal. Jesus is a lesser created God. He's a lesser created God. He's still a God, but he's a lesser God. So really, the sin of Arianism is really polytheism. They believe in two gods, one great God and one minor God. And they will actually use the same passage of Isaiah 9 to make their point. What they will say is that the word mighty God is not almighty God. Because he's not called Jehovah God in Isaiah 9, he's simply called mighty God. That shows that there is a different ranking of what we call God, and then they'll say Satan is the God of this world and so forth. But all we have to do is show them that the word mighty God is actually used in Isaiah of Jehovah God in the same passages. And so there is no two gods. The theory falls flat on its face, and now you even know where to go. John 1.18, the context has the Aryan fall flat on their face. John 1.18 is the proper translation of this passage, which says no one has seen God but God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship to the Father has made him known. I want you to see what that looks like in um, a more modern version. The New Living says it like this, verse uh, 18 says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, has revealed God to us. The unique one who is himself God is another way of saying that translation. And also of the Amplified, no one has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son or the only begotten God, which is another translation, the only begotten God, the begotten God. That's a great concept, isn't it? God the begotten. Sometimes we only think of the Son being begotten, but God was begotten, who is in the bosom, intimate presence of the Father, has declared him, has revealed him, has brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him and has made him known. Now what is something here encouraging that we can pull from this passage? Uh, something that I think you and I can be encouraged by today, and I just didn't even get to the, I, I honestly thought I could do this all in one message. I haven't even gotten past verse 1. Um, so yes, we'll rename this message, the only begotten God. Amen, the only begotten God. We'll rename it that. But let me encourage you with this. Jesus was in the beginning of all of creation, and he has been at the beginning of your creation. He is the start and the author of your faith. If he is the start and the author, what else is he? The finisher and the completer. God surrounds you today, Kathleen. God is with you. That is what encourages me so much about this. When I think about all my problems, they have an expiration date, don't they? 
all of my problems expire because they're not eternal in the past and they're not eternal in the future. But God goes both ways eternally. And what I see in this passage is such great hope because the intimacy that the Word had with the Father, He has now given me that same place in His name. I now can approach the throne of grace boldly and know that the God of heaven and earth knows me and cares about me and loves me. And when I meditate on this and repeat it back to myself in prayer and bounce my worryful thoughts back to this passage, whenever I think of a worryful thought, I go, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, you know. And I go through this passage. It makes my spirit be at peace. Because I look at my child now, and I say, well, I, wa I was here at the beginning of your birth. I saw you come forth from your mother's womb. But Jesus looks at my child and says, I was there before there was a womb. You, you, you look at your first week of Bible college and go, this is such a big beginning. This is such a big beginning. And God says, I was here when the whole thing began. He says, don't be afraid, I'm with you now. I'm with you always. And I have a place of intimacy with you. That, that, that second phrase there, and the word was with God, theon. Could you say today, through Jesus, I am with Jesus at the beginning of my school year. And through Jesus, I am with the Father. I am face to face with him. And I share in the divine nature of Jesus. Wow, isn't that amazing? In the beginning of my school year is me and Jesus, and Jesus and I are in the presence of the Father, and I share in the nature of Jesus. Woo, hallelujah. And I can do all things through him. He's created all of this for his glory. And no matter how dark things get, light is always greater. Amen. Let's pray as Joe B prepares to close down the live webcast. And just wait till I say the amen. Thank you. Uh, Lord, we just are so grateful to be here today, to meditate upon your word, to consider the work of your hand, the creation of this universe and our place within it. And we are in awe of your inspired writings through the Apostle John that place us there at the beginning of all creation. And we see you are there with all authority and all power. And that we see you in all of your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, Father, we see you there as the initiator, as the one with the plan. We see our beautiful Savior there being the very word spoken in the source of light and life. And we see the Holy Spirit doing not on his own, but doing what he has been sent to do, creating and forming and shaping and we see even here today, O oh great God, your triune nature among us. Father, we stand in your presence before your throne because of Jesus, who you loved and sent to die for us, to raise again, to ascend and be at your side, to carry our prayers before your throne. And that by the Holy Spirit, we sent you even now, more than goosebumps, more than uh, just physical things, but deep within our soul. By the Holy Spirit, we sense the abode of God with us, Father and Son. And we are honored to know that you surround us, not only in this moment, but you surround all the days of our life. And through you, all good things will come forth. 
And so we trust in your power today. Meditate upon your word. Learn of you so we may share you to this world. Share your life and your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give it up for Jesus.